Good morning. My name is Joel Dunn. I'm a covenant member here at Redeemer San Angelo, and it is my privilege to read out of God's Word this morning. We actually have two passages, and the first one is Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Our second passage is John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, we are so glad that you guys are here to worship with us this morning. Um, hopefully, bellies full of turkey or uh, steak, if you're those who like to break tradition. But um, uh, we certainly hope that you had a great Thanksgiving celebrating with friends and family, uh, wherever, whether that was here or traveling. Um, we're, we're, we're just, uh, there's a lot to be thankful for uh, in this scene, season, namely just that, and Jesus loves us. It's always something to be celebrating. So, but for those of you who I've not met yet, um, I'm, my name is Brian. I'm the other pastor here. And um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and jump in to both Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. So we're going to be flipping back and forth. Um, but we will start in Genesis 1, um, but we'll be, we'll be navigating both spaces. Um, like Ryan had mentioned earlier, we are entering, we are taking a break from our series in Colossians, and we'll actually be coming back to that after the turn of the year. Uh, but we will be entering the season of Advent. We'll be doing a series uh, revolving around, looking at the first five books of the Old Testament and seeing how do we see the Word of God point to a Messiah, point to the coming of Christ uh, through these five books. But really, if you look throughout the whole Old Testament, you're just going to see so many different things uh, about the coming of Jesus as our Messiah and Savior. Uh, but we want to hone in on the first five books because we think there's a lot there for us to, to, to glean from. But uh, one of those things, one of, for me growing up personally, whenever um, Christmas time came around, I grew up in the church, a great church. Um, whenever I, the Christmas season came around, they always would talk about, hey, we're entering into the season of Advent. So we use that word a lot. And I remember hearing that word a lot growing up, Advent. What do we mean uh, by Advent? All I remember was, that, hey, like, there's lots of Christmas trees. It was kind of Christmassy. We had some Christmas sermons, and it was, it was really good. But I never really understood. And it was probably from my own just not listening and paying attention. I'm going to give the, the pastor the benefit of it out there. But I never really fully understood what, what it meant. Um, but, but one of the things is we think about what Advent is. Advent, in just in a general sense, is an anticipation of, a, of someone who's notable. Anticipation of the arrival of someone who is of uh, notary, who is, who is maybe famous or uh, who might be well-known. So as it pertains to the church, Advent is this season of anticipation for the coming of Christ. This anticipation of Christ coming. In the Old Testament, like we're going to be looking at, they were anticipating the coming of a Savior. Now, after uh, the New Testament, after the Gospels, as Jesus has come, we are in a season of waiting for Christ's second coming. 
But really, this anticipation might be a theme that a lot of us are familiar with um, right now in the season that we're in. The holiday seasons tend to bring about a lot of anticipation. A lot of us are already listening to Christmas music. Uh, you have the decorations up on your house or in your room. The Christmas trees are up. It's just a show of hands. Who already has the Christmas tree up? I love the fact that the majority of the room just raised their hand. That is wonderful. Jolly to you. Um, right? But a lot of us, like the season just naturally uh, builds upon itself that there's going to be this sense of anticipation. We're, we're excited for Christmas. We're, you know, many of us have made our list of things that we want. The season, like I said, it just naturally awakens this sense of anticipation in us. And I believe that all those things, that sense of anticipation is not a bad thing, but what it should do for us as who are believers is that it should build within us this anticipation of, of Jesus. Like I said, we get, to send, we get to celebrate in this season the arrival, the coming of our Savior, and we get to look forward to his second coming. Like Ryan read earlier in the call to worship, his second coming where he will be the light to where we won't need the sun, we won't have night, well, he'll, like, he'll be our life. That is something we can grab onto and hold fast to. But this, like I said, Advent, though, is the season of anticipation. And it's the season that brings about good news. And I think that's something that a lot of us need in this season. We want good news. For, for some of you, uh, this past couple of years has not been super kind. Maybe it's been job loss. Maybe there's been some relational issues within friends or family. Maybe there's been some kind of suffering that you've been dealing with. Maybe some kind of sin or struggle that you just cannot seem to shake. So wherever you might be on that spectrum, all of us are in need of good news. And that's what we're really hoping to pull out in this series in Advent, is that we want to show you from the Old Testament uh, the good news that is to be had in the person of Jesus. That despite the external circumstances and things that might be going on, uh, life is truly found in him. It's not found in things of this world. Uh, and ultimately, our good, like I said, our good news is found in the material and not, or sorry, our good news is found in the eternal and not the material. And this idea that the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, anticipates the coming of Jesus is actually something that Jesus himself said. This isn't a theme that we're just kind of making up and trying to pull some things. Jesus actually gives us this perspective on the scriptures for us to look at them on. He says in Luke chapter 24, after he had rose from the grave, he's with his disciples. He's about to ascend into heaven. He opens up their minds to understand the scriptures. And this is what he says in Luke 24. He says that these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus was the point of the Old Testament. And when he says the law, the prophets, the Psalms, it's the, the Jews had the same Old Testament that we have, but the way they categorized it was, in those, it was in those categories. The law, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, which actually include some of the books that we tend to think are the historical books, like uh, Kings and Chronicles, and then the Psalms. But he is saying that all of Scripture is about him. Jesus gives us the way, the lens in which we are to view Scripture. And so we're not just trying to pull things that aren't there, but rather Jesus himself says that all of the Old Testament, all of the Scripture is about him. He is the point of everything. 
And while there's so much even more there to that verse, I want us to have that lens. As we are beginning the season of looking at the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, that he is the point. He is the culmination of it all. He's, we see that in, from the beginning of creation, and we're, we're anticipating it in his second coming. But that's where I want us to begin, though, today. Is as we are talking about Jesus as the culmination of Scripture, I want to go to the beginning. And I want to I kind of tease this theme that he introduces to us in the first five books of, uh, oh, sorry, the first five verses of Genesis. And this is this theme of light. This theme of light. One of the most common things that we find probably in our kids' rooms or, or maybe in our rooms growing up is a nightlight. How many of us had a nightlight growing up? Just a few? No? Okay, just, all right. Um, thank you. I feel, I feel a little alone up here. Um, but the purpose of a nightlight is to, I mean, as a kid, you think about it. You might be kind of dark. The dark can kind of um, lend itself to feeling just uncomfortable and uneasy and just unknowns. But what a nightlight does, it illuminates the dark. It shows what's really there. It illuminates uh, what is reality. Um, we could probably think of other scenarios in our lives where light is important. But if you're in the attic and unloading Christmas decor and it's dark out in there, you probably want a little flashlight so you can see what's actually there. If you're wandering in a forest, um, not that we have really have those in San Angelo, but if you're wandering in a forest somewhere, a flashlight might be a good idea. I remember uh, when I was in college, we would run down Burma Road, and I'm not sure if you know where Burma Road is. It's past Arden, ways away. There's no light there. And I remember there were times, there were mornings, it was pitch black, we were running, and I couldn't see a thing in front of me. Uh, every now and then, my, my, little, my friend had like a little, one of those little blinking red lights. It just kind of like shows literally like two centimeters in front of you. They did no good, right? But light illuminates what is really there. Light can bring a sense of comfort. Light can bring a sense of direction. It gives uh, illumination. Without light, though, darkness prevails. Without light, darkness prevails. And as we see all throughout Scripture, we see this theme of darkness and light. Uh, darkness, really what it means, is this idea of one living in such a way that does not recognize God. Darkness as it pertains to spiritual things is this idea of wandering and going in a direction that just doesn't care who God is. You're, you're, you're walking in a way that you feel like is best for you. You're, you're just navigating. Um, you're with your own compass. And really, uh, what the scriptures equate that to is darkness, is, is living uh, in a lack of acknowledgement of who God is. Um, but as we look at our own hearts, uh, we can feel that at times. We can feel that own just desire to, to walk in our darkness, to walk in our sin, to walk in our brokenness. We can easily look to find life in other things other than God. And it's one of those things that if we aren't careful, we will all of a sudden slowly shift into a way where we think light is found in me or I am the arbiter of what is good and true. And that is not what God wants for us. And ever since, like I said, ever since the beginning, though, God has been a God who's been pushing back on the darkness with light. He has been a God who's pushed back the darkness with light. Let's go ahead and look in our first two verses of Genesis. The word says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So as we look at the book of Genesis, and really the whole of Torah, one of the things that we are seeing specifically here, that the origin of all life uh, is found in God. Every atom, every corner of the universe, everything, it has its origins and beginnings in God. He is the creator of all things, and he is also the uncreated one. God has always been. He is eternal. And the original audience for the book, for Genesis, uh, was the uh, people called the Israelites. As many of you may or may not know, they were a people who often were labeled in Scripture as stubborn, stiff-necked, but they were God's, also God's chosen people. God set them apart, and through them, he was going to use this nation to declare his name and glory throughout the whole world so that the whole world might know him. But like I said, this group of people oftentimes uh, rebelled, oftentimes uh, went into idol worship, oftentimes did all these things. So Genesis, really the first five books of the Bible, though, is written to help remind these people who were so tempted to go wayward that they actually were a people of origin, that God created them, that they were not just a people of origin, but that God only created them, but he also chose them to be his people. And this, this Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these were all meant to help remind them of who they truly were, who their identity was. And so as we look in verse 1 and 2, we see a couple of things from the Genesis text that, that, that the author is, is showing. He's first off showing that in verse, in verse 1, that God creates the heavens and the earth. Heavens and earth typically is in reference to uh, obviously the land that we live in, but also the galaxies, the universe. And when we see the word heavens, uh, yes, it can mean heaven where God is, but it can also mean just the expanse of everything. It can mean the stars and, and the whole entire universe. So we see that God created everything, but we also see in verses 1 and 2 that there was a bit of disorder and, and confusion. There was a bit of darkness. There, there's a bit of just chaos. So he says, when he says that the earth was without form and void and darkness, what each of those words are communicating is that this, this, the world as we know it was not a space in which life could flourish. It was not a space that people could live in, animals could roam, but rather it was dark, it was chaotic, it was inhabitable for any kind of life. Uh, think about a, a place in our world that might, not, that might not be a great place to live, the Sahara Desert, perhaps. Right? I don't think any of us want to build a city in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Uh, if you do, go for it. Not my thing. But right, it, it's a place, though, that is not inhabitable. And that's the picture that's being given here. The earth was dark, without form. It was void. There was things here, but, but it was chaotic. It was, it was dark. There was disorder. But then we look in verse 3 and 4. We see that God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. What is the contrast? We see that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a wasteless space and and form and this inhabitable um, creation, as it was beginning to take form, God speaks and speaks, and the first thing he brings to this world to bring it into order and into a space in which people can live and can flourish is light. And the first thing that we see in Scripture that God calls good is light. 
God pushes back the darkness with light. Light will always overcome the darkness. Hang on to that. Light will always, always overcome the darkness. God is able to bring order. God is able to bring um, uh, light into places that once were dark. He is able to bring life into spaces that used to not have any. And that's where we see the rest of the creation story happen. He doesn't begin creation with creating the animals. He doesn't begin creation with um, uh, the, the waters. He doesn't begin it. He begins it with light. And that's something I think is symbolic. That's a theme that's going to be carrying on through over and over again as you read the scriptures. But one of the questions, like I said, one of the questions that we want to think about is, was God the Father alone when he created? Was he, was he just doing this himself? Or was there something more going on behind the scenes that we can kind of tease and see um, in this account? So go ahead and flip over to John. Flip over to John chapter 1. So when we, like I said, when we look at our text... When we look at, at the Genesis account, we, we see that God is the origin and creator of all things. And we see a similar pattern. We see some similar phraseology being used in John chapter 1 uh, that kind of opens up the picture of creation a little bit more fully um, in this gospel. Let's go ahead and read the first, four, uh, sorry, first three verses. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what John is doing in this gospel, he's doing a callback. Some of us watch the shows that we watch. You know, you might see, notice in the later seasons, they may call back to a specific reference or thing that happened maybe in a couple seasons earlier. Typically, when a callback happens in a, in a movie or a show, it's they're trying to, to pull something back that previously happened that is relevant for the present moment. Something that's relevant for the present moment. And that's what John's doing. He's, as those who would read this gospel, they'd be well aware of what John was doing. That he's calling back to the first five verses in Genesis, and he's ultimately, he's expanding what exactly happened in that creation moment. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is in reference to Jesus. The whole Gospel of John is about Jesus and the life that is to be had in him. And, and Jesus was with God. Jesus, the Son, was with God at the beginning of creation, as we just read in Genesis 1. He was in the beginning. And what that means is, first off, when he says that Jesus was, the Word was in the beginning, the beginning uh, does not indicate, does not mean that Jesus was created and then he started creating. No, Jesus, Jesus uh, God the Son, has always been. And so he, if he created all things, as we talked about in Colossians a few weeks ago, if he also was created, could he have been created all things? No. No. So, so, so this is a callback, and, 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 and he's trying to get his audience, us to understand that Jesus was with God. Uh, God the Father in the beginning. And not only was he with him, but all things were made through him. Jesus had a part in the creation account. He, had a, he, had a, he wasn't just a part, but rather he was creating all things. And he says not everything that was made was made through him. 
God spoke. And when God speaks, Jesus is speaking with him. The Spirit hovered over all creations. And all things, like I said, was made through Jesus. And what's kind of cool, what John first off does, as he does this call back to Genesis, he, you see the, the beauty of the tri- triune God um, involved in the creation account. You see the beauty of the triune God involved in the creation of all things. And one of the things that we have to see here is that not only was Jesus involved, and not only was Jesus uh, uncreated, he was always been with God the Father uh, throughout all times. But if he was with God the Father through all the times, that also means that Jesus was involved in pushing back the darkness with light back in the beginning. Jesus was also involved with God in pushing back the darkness that was in the beginning. Now, the darkness that was talking about in Genesis had more to do with the world, had more to do with restoring order into all of creation. The darkness that John talks about is the darkness that resides in our own hearts because of sin. Darkness is in our own lives, and this darkness has caused a separation between us and our Creator. But what we need to see here, first off from this text, is that from eternity past, it has always been the character of Jesus to push back darkness with light. It has always been in the character of Jesus to push back darkness with light. And it should be no surprise to us that if Jesus was able to push back darkness from a creation standpoint, then he's also able to do it in our own lives. He's also able to bring illumination in our own hearts where true life is. And like I said, to fully understand this, we have to understand that darkness was not just a problem at creation, but like I said, darkness is also a problem in our own hearts since Genesis 3 when sin entered into the world. When man decided that we would be a better God than God, and, and we decided that, God, I know you're good and you've made everything perfect, but I think I know what's better. When we decided to go our own way, darkness in our own hearts was ushered into this world. And we have then since been a group of people who've been trying over and over again to find life in other things other than the one who made us. And the result of that is just this life of eternal separation. Jeremiah, he says in, in, in chapter 4 of, of his prophecy, he doesn't mince words. He says, as a result of us trying to be our own God, he says that they were wise in doing evil. They were wise in doing evil. Uh, they did not know how to do good. See, this is the, the posture, this is the state of all those who aren't in Christ, is that we are a people who perpetuate darkness in our own hearts, thinking that we will be a better God than ourselves. So darkness was not just a problem at creation, but it's a problem in our own human hearts. And we remember, what does darkness represent in Scripture? It, res- it represents this, idea, this ignorance of divine things, this ignorance of, of who God is. And it's sin, and it's evil, and it's ultimately trying to find life in other things. And is that not the state for all of us? Are we still not also tempted to find life in this world? Uh, approval for some of us, is, is a thing that we often will chase after. We want people to, to like us. We want people to think we're smart. We want people to uh, know who we are. We want to be accepted. That's a big thing that we will often try to find life in, but it will fall short. 
I know for me personally, whenever I was in college, I had this warped view of what the gospel was, and I thought that the gospel was ultimately trying to be a good person. As long as I just do some good things, then I will be okay. And, and why that falls short is because ultimately, I am my own compass of what is good. And a lot of times when I felt like I didn't measure up, when I didn't do what, was, uh, what I was supposed to do, oftentimes what ensued was just guilt and shame. Not finding my life in Jesus, I was finding life in myself. We could go on and on. There's so many things that we look to to try to find life and light in. Money, sex, power, control. So many things, fill in the blank. So many things we can try to find life in. As, as John Calvin says, he says that our hearts are an idol factory. We can turn anything, even good things, into an idol. And anything that we look to for life is walking, anything that we look to for life other than Jesus is walking in darkness. And the chase of these things, um, I think, does reveal that we do long for something. We do long, we do know that um, our hearts, as someone has once said, have a God-shaped hole in it. Even if, we're, if, if those of us who aren't in Christ, and there's something in us that's chasing and trying to find life in things of this world, but it keeps coming up short. We want true life in something. We want to find life in the things of this world. But what John is reminding us in his opening verses here is that life can never be found in things um, that are not Jesus. And it's interesting that even how dark things can, be masquer- can masquerade themselves as light. The longing of our hearts to want to find something, to find joy and satisfaction in, um, ultimately should drive us to the one who ultimately does, has the possession of life. And that's what John continues to talk about in the opening verses. Look in verse 4 and 5. He writes... In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness now has overcome it. Let me read that again. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John makes two crucial statements in verse 4 that's really important for us to understand Uh, in regards to Jesus being our life. He first off says that in him was life. And that word he uses for life there means vitality and alive. When you think of something that is just, is fully alive, it's almost like a golden retriever. Like, you know, like they're just like always just, or maybe it's more of like a labradoodle. That's probably more of a lab. Um, But they're just so excited. They're full of life. They're ready to go all the time. They're alive. You can see it from the moment you wake up. Uh, that's the word that's being used. It's just this, this vibrancy. It's this vitality. And in him was this kind of vitality uh, in which that we could possess. So in him was life. And then in his life, the second thing that he's, John says here, in his life was the light of men. Was the light of men. What does he mean when he says that Jesus is the light of men? It means, like I said, he's calling back uh, one of the things to think about is the old people in the Old Testament were anticipating a Messiah. And we're going to get into that more in the coming weeks. They were anticipating someone to come and rescue them and to deliver them. Uh, they might have thought it, at the time it was to deliver them from Rome, but really the delivering was from their own sin, their own darkness, and their own hearts and souls. 
But what, what this anticipation does was just always kept them looking and looking and looking. And when John says that Jesus is the light of men, his life was the light of men, he is essentially saying, this is the one you are looking for. This is the Messiah. This is the one all the scriptures are pointing to. He is the one who is going to be the savior of the world. He is the one who came to deal with the darkness of our own hearts. He is the one who came to deal with the separation from mankind and God because of our sin and our own desire just to be our own gods. He was the one who was going to come deal with these things. Isaiah talks about this. He says, by his wounds we are healed. Jesus comes into the world to be the sacrificial lamb, to be the one who would go on our behalf, deal with sin once and for all, and give us life. He was the one who's going to push back darkness with his life, and his life would be an illumination to all who would see where true life is found. His life would be this illumination, this, this, this guide um, that would show us where we can truly find life. His life exposes darkness for what it really is, lifeless. The things that we might be tempted to go chase, the, the things that we might try to find life in, even things that aren't are neutral. Ultimately, if we are looking to those things for ultimate peace and satisfaction, we are walking in darkness. And Jesus says, darkness, what, what is darkness? But rather, it's just a lifeless thing. And I love what he says in verse 5. What, about this life, about this light of men, he says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, not, darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. See, when you shine a light on something, you're, you're, you're exposing what's really there. Whenever I was in middle school and I turned on the lights in my bathroom mirror, I was exposing what was really there on my face, and that was a bunch of acne, right? Um, when you turn the lights on, when you shine the lights in your backyard, you're going to see your yard. When you shine the light in a dark place, you're going to see what's really there. And so when he says that the light shines in the darkness, Christ, when Christ begins to shine his light in our own hearts, when he begins to permeate our own souls, what we begin to see is that life is not found in darkness. Light is not found in the things of this world, but life is found in him. And that's what he means when he says shines. He's exposing. He's, and he, and this, the way that this is written when he says the light shines in the darkness, it's this ongoing thing. God, he's ongoingly shining himself in the hearts of man to help them see where life is really found, that life is truly found in him. He is the light. He is the flashlight. He not only exposes uh, areas of our life where we're trying to find life in, but he also reminds us that he is good. He is the one who is the source of life. He is or where our whole life should point to. In him is life. And what I love about John's gospel, that he doesn't shy away from the fact that this is the point on why I'm writing. I want you to know that life is found in Jesus. If you go to chapter 20 of John, John's gospel, he says this in a summary statement of the whole gospel. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
that you may have life in his name. And when Jesus shines uh, his light on our hearts, he begins to help us see that so many of these things of this world will fall short and that life is to be found in him. Because Christ, in Christ, um, true life is found. True life is found. The Old Testament foretells it, and the New Testament fulfills it. I love what Blaise Pascal, he was a, uh, a mathematician and physician, just a really smart guy in the 1600s, but he says it like this in regards to God being the one who, who being the source of our whole life. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. The life that we're trying to find, the joy, this full satisfaction of our heart that we're trying to fill, this void in our heart that we're trying to fill, can only be found in knowing God. can only be found in the one who came to save us. Only in Jesus is there life. Only in him is there a way for us to be fully satisfied. And, and I love that the creation account begins the scriptures showing that our creator is able to push back darkness. And John's gospel, as he's beginning to tell about the ministry and life of Jesus. He also says about our creator, who is Jesus, that he is not only able to push back the darkness of creation, but he's able to push back the darkness in our heart, expose it for what it is, and show us where life is found. And so as we end our time this morning, Ben, you guys can go ahead and and come on up. The promise of verse 5 is so important for us. Jesus is going to shine the light of his life on our hearts. And then he follows up and says that the darkness has not overcome it. That's a promise. That the darkness will not overcome it. When Christ, who is your life, when you have put our hope and trust in Jesus, darkness, the sin um, that once you felt enslaved to, no longer does. The promise that you will get to be with Jesus forever, as Ryan said at the beginning, when Christ comes back and we get to be fully redeemed, darkness cannot overcome that. You are rest secure in Jesus. And so my, my, simple, my simple question for us is this as we wind our time down. Do you really believe that life is found in Jesus? Do you really know that life is found in him? And if you do, where might God still be trying to expose some darkness in your life? Where might be some things in your own heart that you're still trying to chase after and, 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 and feel like, hey, if I could just have this thing, then I'll be happy. Is there something that the Lord might be trying to show you in your own heart where you might be trying to find life in things that aren't, don't have it? Where might you be seeking false life? Um, Jesus, like I said, when, when, when Christ, who is the promised light of the Old Testament, um, when, he is the, when we have our hope and trust in him, our hope is that we grow into this understanding that he is all we need. 
We grow into this understanding that we are secure. We um, are secure in him. Darkness can't overtake us. And as we participate in communion this morning, uh, which we have tables in the back and also in the front, um, we can drink the, the juice, which is representative of his blood, and we can eat of the bread, which is representative of his broken body, knowing that as we are in him, as we get to partake of the elements, we are a part of his family. We are a part of a, of, of a family whose savior and whose father is the one who we can find full joy and rest in. He's the one who came into this world uh, to push back darkness with light, and in him is life. Light will always overcome, be overcome, will overcome the darkness. Jesus has always been about pushing back the darkness, and he is the light of men. And so, Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you so much for being the light. God, thank you so much for helping us know that no matter where we might struggle, where we might face sin, that if we are in you, Lord Jesus, that you are a God who's full of grace and mercy. God, I ask that you would continue to help us know what it means to find our joy and our delight in you. I pray, God, that you would help us see um, where life is found. And our Spirit, I ask that right now, that you would just expose things in our own life that we still might be chasing after to where we feel like life is found. Thank you so much for your kindness and grace. We say it's your son's name. Amen.